When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and you're listening to Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, a podcast all about giving you simple and sustainable strategies to help you live your happiest, healthiest and most peaceful life. In today's podcast, I interview Shana Manet Spence, a nutritionist with a non-diet approach to health and wellness. We have an amazing and freeing conversation around the dangers of diet culture, the benefits of intuitive eating, nutrition and mental health. Diet culture trends that can be harmful, body dysmorphia, disordered eating and eating disorders, and so much more. Before we begin, I want to remind you that you can listen to exclusive ad-free content on Patreon. This month's bonus episode is all about how to wire out any harmful effects from COVID and long COVID. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Dr. Caroline Leaf for more info. The link and details will be in the show notes. And as always, this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice. Please always consult with your personal physician or appropriate medical professional for medical issues. And now, on to today's podcast. Shana, such a pleasure to have you in the studio with me today. I'm very excited to talk to you about this incredibly important topic. So thank you for agreeing to come on my show. Uh, Thank you for having me. Uh, pleasure. I love your page. You're filled with wisdom and just such like down to earth stuff that we can all, when it comes to eating, you just make us feel calm. That's if I had to sort of summarize oh, you. Thank you. In a <laughs> yeah. It's like a, and it's good in this day and age of, you know, don't eat this, do eat that and all this kind of thing. It's very overwhelming. So just wouldn't you mind, they've heard your bio and so on, but can you just give us a little intro into who you are, but a little bit of a personal touch and why you do what you do? Sure. So uh, my name is Shana and I am a dietitian. I'm based in Brooklyn, New York. And I like to follow the what I call the non-diet approach to eating, to counseling, and also the health at every size approach. So the one that definitely less weight stigma attached to it. That's always the goal. And really just making people feel comfortable with their food choices, with their even lifestyle choices, because what I find is that a lot of times this diet culture realm that we're in definitely makes people second guess themselves. And that second guessing really often leads to stress, confusion, and it's just, it's unnecessary, right? I think a lot of people are following food rules that they don't need that doesn't apply to them. So that's that's my goal whenever I post something or if I'm working with people just to make people feel comfortable. And you know, of course, if there's something that needs to be said with how someone is eating, that doesn't mean that they have to do a strict diet. 
So I think that's also important. I think everyone who's just heard what you said is busy going, yay, thank you, my new best friend. You know, so that's really, uh, yeah, you, you know, we've, we've making, made something that's just so pleasurable into something that's so like, challenging. And, you know, what do you eat? What do you, where do you turn? And in the world of mental health that I move in, and I don't practice anymore, but I tell you one of the, a lot of the issues that I dealt with in my practice were people that were just battling with body image and that kind of thing because of what do I eat? Where do I go? Exactly. So, I'm, I've got a, I'm going to start with a question that I think uh, first before intuitive eating, I want to get into that, but I want to ask you, what would be, a lot of people talk about eating clean food and eating real food. And that's something mm. I always would say to people to try and keep it neutral. There's no one diet and all the things you've just said. And then I'd say, you know, try and eat real food. And then I would define real. My thing was eat real food mindfully. So I'm asking mm-hmm. you now, is that safe to say? Is there a better way of saying it? And in terms of real food, I was saying, you know, a local farm to table system sustainable, organic as far as possible, as processed, but as little as possible, that kind of thing. So I want to say the right things now. So I'm being absolutely straight up honest. What is a better way of, is there a better way of saying this? How do we, what is clean food? What is real food? What should we be saying? Yeah, I think that there's always good intention, like for people that say that, right? Because we do want people to nourish their bodies really well. You know, that's, that's why we're all health professionals, right? And I think that it would be actually a really great idea. And I've also kind of kept thinking about how to like say things to people where it doesn't feel still stigmatizing. Or moralizing. Yeah, demoralizing. And like even using healthy food, I feel like people's minds kind of go to, oh my gosh, I have to restrict. So I I started personally, right? Everyone can use how whatever they want, but I personally use nourishment, how to nourish your body. And I think that's a really great safe way to talk to people that I that I found. You know, I'm, I'm sure other people have different approaches. No, I like <laughs> but, that. I like you know, that. Yeah, because nourishment also looks different. You know, so I think that it's really it's a good idea because when we do talk about clean food too, it's like that kind of also implies you know that it has to be expensive, that it has to be organic and you know if if you want to buy those things that is fine but if you don't or if you can't afford that that doesn't mean that you're unhealthy so that's important no that's really great so we've got to be careful of the terms even real and clean because they fall in the same sort of bracket i think so and it can be quite judgmental and it's you know there's all the politics involved and all that kind of thing so i love i love the idea of nourishment because it also allows for the unique individual within their context and circumstance to be able to try and deal with that with no guilt you know, being yes. piled on top of them and moralizing and so on. So based on that, then that leads us to what is intuitive eating. So you speak a lot mm-hmm. about that. And then there's so much misunderstanding around that too. So can you explain that? There is an intuitive eating. I kind of like to call it, it would be just eating without all of the food rules that people impose, you know, on themselves and also in society. It's intuitive eating is about finding a way that works for you individually, you know, and it doesn't, and it's not just eating when you're hungry and stopping when you're full. It, it actually, that's actually a little too simplified. It really is boils down to, okay, I know what's going to work for myself. I know that I have a busy day ahead. So you know what? I'm going to eat maybe a larger breakfast than I normally would have in order to have my body nourished, you know, because some of it's planning. Yeah, some of it's planning because we can't, you know, we're busy adults. We can't just stop what we're doing and eat, 
as much as that would be amazing. Yeah. Right? It doesn't always work that way. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Five o'clock so comes and of, you think grumbly tumbly yeah. and you need to be in your stomach's grumbling and you haven't had time to, to take a break for lunch. So yeah. Exactly. You know, and, and you know, like I said, that would be ideal, right? Being able to just stop whenever. <laughs> but some of it's just planning. Some of it is also knowing how your body's going to react to foods. You know, because I think that people who aren't familiar with intuitive eating kind of think that it's you're just letting people eat whatever they want. Like, well, people are always going to crave fries. So you're just telling people it's okay to eat fries all day. Like I keep hearing these things and that's actually not that's not what we're saying at all. <laughs> and I think it goes down to, I'm sure like in you know the mental health fields, you know, this is talked about as well, but also like a huge part of eating is based in like psychology and you know, with intuitive eating, that idea of habituation, right? Because if we are eating the same thing every day, it's not going to be appealing. Like even something like fries. And the reason we keep saying fries, chips, cookies, yeah, is because we don't eat them every day. So they feel forbidden. So I think that's super important. Like intuitive eating, non-diet approach is not anti-health or anything like that. It's really just having people be in tune with their bodies and no, you're not going to crave fries all the time like anybody would get sick of you know fries exactly so it's more like going into if you prefer to like eat three meals a day or if you prefer to graze all day long or if you prefer to you know today i feel like cereal for dinner you know it's like following the obviously if you've got a family it's not so easy to do that but you know even within Mm -hmm. that you can so it's 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 instinctively learning what works for your body and what makes your body comfortable and then does it also allow for the freedom like you go to dinner with friends and obviously that's going to be you know a a whole Mm -hmm. different story and and enjoying that exactly and that's and that's so important because you know I, i know i mentioned the psychological aspect but also social connections to eating you know and that's and that's something that you know unfortunately diet culture as a society kind of takes away because people are, you know, you get scared of social events because, oh my gosh, I don't know the food or I'm going to watch my friend eat, you know, their cheeseburger and I'm going to want one or, you know, things like that. It, you know, and that shouldn't be the case. That's, that's, you know, it's, it's very much important to have a social connection to food as well. It should be enjoyed. You know, we have taste buds for a reason. <laughs> exactly. And there's so yeah. much, so there's a lot of neuroscience and psychology associated with the whole, you know, the whole digestive tract and the taste buds and all kinds of things. And I, I love that you said that. It makes me think of a story just recently. My husband and I, we have a, we live in Miami, between Miami and Dallas. And in Miami, we have our favorite Italian restaurant. It's tiny. It's, and it's this mm-hmm. family owned and they make the best pasta. And we love going there. And the one night we were going in, there was a table behind us and everyone was eating the pasta. And then this one lady ordered and she was, you could see there was she was battling and she ordered like dry chicken and salad like lettuce leaves literally and so and as you're saying that her whole I felt so sorry because you could see that she really wanted to eat that pasta and be part of the whole party even though it wasn't our table it was behind us but Mm -hmm. there was that restriction happening you know and as you were saying that I was thinking all the social joy was lost there in that moment because of the restriction I know Mm -hmm. that doesn't go to the intuitive eating it goes to some of the other points we're going to cover today but what Mm -hmm. what this whole diet culture has created is this taking the enjoyment out of this and out of the socialization, out of the actual process of eating. And that's what, you know, our taste buds are so connected to our pleasure centers in the brain and so on. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's so important. And, you know, unfortunately I think it's become so normalized that, you know, to, 
be afraid of food in a way. And so I, I'm hoping that the more people realize that, no, it's, it's actually okay <laughs> that it's, you know, it's okay to enjoy what you're eating. You know, even if it's a vegetable, like vegetables can taste good. You know? They can, they can <laughs> so, taste really good. They, there's so many nice ways of cooking them and things that you can make exactly. them taste so good. So exactly. yeah, that's really important. <laughs> we all know that sleep is so important for our mental and physical health. It helps clean up the brain and get us ready for the day next day so we can give our best at home, school or work. However, getting a good night's rest can be a challenge. This is why I love Ned's best-selling sleep blend, which new and improved recipe offers an even greater night's sleep. Ned remains committed to making all of their products more simple and effective, and they've done just that with their new sleep blend. This new formulation blends CBN, a powerful cannabinoid that promotes sleep, with 700 milligrams of USDA-certified organic CBD from the purest single-source hemp flower extracts and organic and wild-crafted botanicals traditionally used for sleep. The new Sleep Blend has 24% more sleep-inducing botanicals by weight than the previous version. And it's Ned's birthday month. If you'd like to give their new and improved Sleep Blend a try, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess listeners get 21% off with the code Dr. Leaf for the month of March only. It's their best offer of the year. Visit helloned.com forward slash Dr. Leaf to get access. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D dot com slash Dr. Leaf to get 21% off. The link and details will be in the show notes. What is better than following a diet plan then? You know, what's the harm in diet? And when I look down, I'm just looking at all my questions because I, I want to hit all these things. So what yeah. is you know better than following a diet plan then? You know, what's the harm in dieting, the diet culture thing? I Maybe think blend that all together. Yeah. I think, you know, when we say like diet should just mean our way of eating, but it often boils down to a a restriction. And the thing is that a lot of folks I tend to notice get their ways of eating on the internet or from a celebrity. You know, you always see headlines like what's, I don't know, what Beyonce's eating or what Jennifer Aniston or, you know, all of these celebrities. And I'm like, that's great for them. But you are not Beyonce, you are not Jennifer Aniston. Like <laughs> you need to find, you need to find what works for you. I often find that that's what people go by. And they often get frustrated, understandably, right? Because you see something in the media, you see something posted, and you're just like, okay, this is why they look great. This is why, you know, not even a celebrity, maybe just like a trainer that you know. You're just like, this is why they look great. And when you aren't getting those results, whatever those results are, it's frustrating. And so, you know, I think that's the biggest problem is that people don't forget or maybe also don't realize that one way of eating isn't going to work for everybody. Like our bodies are very much unique and it's really important to find something that works for you, no matter what that is. So I think that's often the problem I see with diet plans or, you know, I just call them restrictive plans because they're always cutting out something <laughs> unnecessary. Mm-hmm. It's that whole diet culture. Totally. Totally. So it's, it's just, it's unfortunate. And, you know, that's, that's my hope, you know, because even if you are diagnosed or have some sort of condition that you do need to eat in a, a specific certain way, way. Yeah. yeah, there's still no reason to be as restrictive as I think that people are thinking, you know, and oftentimes even for, let's say, I notice that people think that gluten-free 
is healthier. And I'm like, well, it's, it's healthier if you have celiac. Yes. It, it's <laughs> if you healthier. don't have celiac, which is if only a don't... very small percentage of the population, yeah. actually. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So that's the yeah. difference, you know, it's, yeah. <laughs> I like that. I like that. So it's basically finding your own unique way of eating. And so that I feel very happy hearing you say that because it makes me feel, phew, I wrote a book called Think and Eat Yourself Smart. And, and one of the first things I said was there is no way, there is no one diet. You really have to find what works for you. And this whole. Exactly. And as soon as, and one of the things that I wanted to ask, you know, we've gone through like a, a sort of, I think that's about 30 years where there's been this thing of, this is the way to eat. If you don't mm-hmm. eat like this, you're going to die. I mean, I'm exaggerating, oh but there yes. has been no, a lot it's of true. that. <laughs> it's actually not, you know, what's sad is that it's not an exaggeration oh, <laughs> from what I'm seeing. Oh, I mean, that in itself puts you, so I come from the whole mind brain impact side I'm thinking oh my gosh you read that and like I can't stand that kind of food or I cannot eat like that and (laughs) that means and so the the anxiety of that is then actually causing more damage in your brain than maybe eating whatever you know and you know eating the fries all day long as opposed to just enjoying them now and then you know that's causing that the anxiety and the worry about it is actually causing more problems so that's the sort of angle I've come from but that's why I'm so pleased for your expertise to try and help us relax about this whole thing yes definitely Mm mm-hmm Intuitive eating, I want to ask you, if you eat intuitively, do you tune into your body's needs more efficiently and recognize, okay, well, I feel like eating fries all day today, but then tomorrow, and you wake up the next day and thinking, I, I just need to have whatever. Uh, it may be like, I need fruit salad, I need a good big mm-hmm. snack, whatever it may be. If you So you tune into what your body needs. Is that what it kind of would lead to? Definitely. And, you know, I think that oftentimes too, how I like to describe food is by the taste as well. So with fries, right, most of the time they're salty or crunchy, and sometimes that's what we're craving, or like potato chips, things like that. And I think that people, you know, that's another part of our taste buds, right? Like we want that like taste. So it's it's actually understandable because people sometimes get so confused, which again, I'm not saying I'm not making fun of folks. It's very confusing when we're told not to eat something, but you know, you I often hear yeah. Yes, exactly. You always think you're doing something wrong, especially when it comes to sweets. I I think too, like, oh my gosh, I want something sweet after dinner. Why do I want this? And I'm like, well, what sweet thing did you have all day? And it's like nothing sweet, all savory foods. Your body wants to change it up by wanting something sweet. That's actually okay. You know, but again, sugar is demonized in society. Yeah, we know, see so, these. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we see these these TikToks, and we see these you know all oh, these yeah. so called experts on not even on. I mean, I think TikTok's probably the healthiest of the platforms, in, in, right. in my opinion. <laughs> but you see yeah. these people saying, "Oh, it's my birthday. I'm going to have a fruit cup. I'm not going to have a bad cake. I want a nice carrot cake on my birthday, please. You know, I can choose the ingredients yeah. I want or whatever. But and then it's like, if you have a piece of cake for you. And you, once a year, I'm going to exactly. have it more often. I'm going to have it more often than once a year. Yes, definitely. You know, it's like, yeah. It's like, and that's the this, this sort of concern, isn't it? Because there's all that, mi- I mean, I know what's happening in the mind and the brain connection. When mm-hmm. you get so tied up that I can't have that piece of cake or, you know, you whatever. I mean, that's the whole diet culture concept, isn't it? It's true. It's true. And, you know, unfortunately with TikTok, I'm, I'm still trying to get a, hang on the app like I, I just joined and I'm just overwhelmed me too. Oh, no no thank you Shona that's the, that's me the same thing I'm trying to learn how to yeah. do it too I can do Instagram live it's so easy but gosh this TikTok, TikTok okay, so we're I'm in just the like same, well, what is happening we will send yeah. each other some encouragement I can tell you that is yes, it yes, is challenging yeah I'm just like I don't know because people are like 
can you do this? I'm just like, no, I, I need to be very simple. In 30 seconds or seven <laughs> seconds, tell them how to eat. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, and the thing is that with these platforms, especially TikTok, I noticed because I think that it's more geared towards younger folks with TikTok, that that's where they're getting their information. And if you're seeing, I think that there's a challenge now. Oh gosh, what's it called? I think it's like, that girl or it girl, whatever sort of know. challenge. I have to ask my kids. And ex- exactly. And I'm, I probably, they probably know, I, I think I screwed up the name, but something like that. And it's basically following, let's say doing, I don't know who started it, but it's like you wake up, you work out, you eat this, these certain things. And that's what these people are thinking. Oh my my gosh, that will be me. I'm going to have these results again, you know, and it's, it's very influencing. Right. And so I have a friend who she teaches third grade. So these children are like eight and they're watching this. They always ask her, they're just like, Oh, like, did you see the challenge? These kids are eight and they already know what's, you know, what so a challenge that's is, just yeah. to show you. Yeah. So it's, it can be problematic. Mm -hmm. It can be problematic. So it's really important that we do have people like you on helping people with food. And so I'm just to try and get a bit more of a balance in that, that that challenge, because I hope so. That hustle Mm -hmm. kind of life of you've got to do this, 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 this. And it may be just for a short period. So it's a fun thing and it's over as long as it doesn't go beyond that. I think, you know, it's, it could be dangerous. It's like the whole exactly. trends that happen in diets. You know, like keto was just like, ah, keto, oh, keto. Yes. And I mean, we even fell in that trap and did keto and loved it for a while until we realized you can't live on keto. It's yeah. <laughs> and you know, maybe now and then you can go back to periods of it, but you know, it's got to be, it's also that thing of this is the one way of working. And maybe if it works for you, I'm not knocking keto, but it's, mm-hmm. it's just that everyone's got to now do this and demonizing another way of eating and demonizing, you know, if you either, if you're vegetarian, demonizing meat, and if you eat me, you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. It makes it yeah. yeah. situation. It's so how, exactly. do you, how do you help people through that? How do we help? How can we help someone now who's listening, who's caught up in this and doesn't know how to get set free? Yeah, I think that it's so important also to because we we do tend to get in so much information from media and who we're following. I think it's so important. And it sounds like such a like nonchalant type of step, but to put variety into who you're following. Right. And nice. I see that a lot and I, I can't not overemphasize like how important it is because we tend to follow the same type of confirmation bias. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Echo chambers. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the thing is that people don't realize that that's, there's like a certain look, like even, you know, even if let's say, even if it's a diversity in ethnicities or races, if you're still following folks who are trainers, who are offering these restrictive measures or telling you how to eat or things like that, that's still the same type. So I think it'd be so helpful to really diversify your feed in every way and really see what resonates. Because, you know, whenever I'm talking with clients, I give them that challenge of muting, not unfollowing, you don't have to unfollow, but just muting accounts and seeing how that feels. And they realize after doing that, oh my gosh, I was so stressed out because I was looking at this person, seeing what they were eating, seeing what they were doing. 
And I felt like I was comparing, even if I didn't think I was, I was, was mentally comparing. It's coding in, whether you like it or not, you, your environment that you're immersed in is being wired or coded into your brain. And then you have this impact and now you've got to go edit the impact. And so, yes, you're watching that. You, that's brilliant advice that you just be selective about those things. Totally. You know, mm-hmm. The other day I was in the in the gym at Condo in Miami and I walked, I was working out in this, I walked into the exercise part and quick, quick story. Here was this gorgeous looking girl by being trained by a trainer. And this trainer was going on about this girl's, yes, you've got to get rid of this cellulite chest. Oh gosh. You know, and you <sighs> must eat this and that. And this girl was already, you could see was, and, and her face just dropped. And you've got to see me eight times a week. And I mean, literally that means twice in one day. She said these things. And I wanted to say to this poor girl after then the trainer left this girl, just sat there. So I wanted to go up to her and give her a hug and say, Hey, just relax, you know, just like yeah. follow Shana and you can relax about this whole thing. And, you know, it's, it was just, that's what's happening though, isn't it? I mean, that's, it's rough. Yes. It's, and, and that's the thing. It's so triggering. And I have to say, you know, it's, it's definitely not, you know, all trainers. Like I, I no, I'm still obviously that some. was, yeah, yeah it was yeah, an yeah. exception. But, that was surely an exception. But that does yeah. happen. Yeah. But unfortunately that does happen. And the thing that I have to point out with trainers and even with some like, dietitians or other health professionals, we are often projecting our own insecurities and own problems. And that trainer was probably, that's, that's what you're saying about yourself, basically. I mean, you know, and it's often times like eating disorders, disordered eating is often so underdiagnosed in people. And it, it can be very triggering, especially when you're in that profession, because you're, you know, you're helping profession, right? And and the thing is that I, I think I see it a lot where it's just like it's it's a form of projection. And you know, that poor that poor girl that was getting getting bad, all of that. Bad heat. advice. Mm-hmm. Yes. All that heat. Exactly. Exactly. And and unfortunately I see that I see that a lot. Well, it was triggering to people. It was triggering. It was triggering to me. There were other people around that were being triggered. We sort of all. So yeah, it was. It had a. It had a quite a ripple effect. And yeah. so, when you, mm-hmm. you know, I remember thinking that incident popped up in my mind when you were talking about that. Now you mentioned eating disorders and disordered eating. Can yes. we maybe just hone in on those? Okay, define, explain. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the thing is that it's often a very thin line, like disordered eating is hard to kind of define because I think that people don't realize how normalized it's become. You know, even if it's, it's really just when you're very much obsessed with what you're eating and also how you're moving, right? You can be over-exercising. orthorexia orthorexia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that often affects many people because what we as a society label as health conscious can be a form of orthorexia. And that's, and that's, that's kind of the problem because when someone is trying to lose weight intentionally, they're going to the gym, like what, four hours or what that trainer said, you have to see me twice or whatever it was. Twice Eight times in twice seven and days. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like what? Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> so that that's a little bit disordered because that's not normal. If you have to do that in order to get to that size or to maintain, that's not healthy. And that's, and that means that you're not meant to be that size. So that would be disordered eating. That would be disordered. Yeah. And, and same thing with like really being nervous about 
not only the quantity of food, because quantity would probably fall more under um, anorexia, which is an eating disorder, but yeah, but something like orthorexia, it's like mostly the quality of food, meaning is it pure? Is it clean? Is it considered, I don't know, organic or, you know, things like that, but you're taking it to a level where you are afraid to eat anything that's not. So that's that can be a disorder. And eating disorders are just really clinical. Like we have a clinical diagnosis and we have a clinical way of treating them. So that's where it kind of, it's, it's a very a fine line. Fine, fine. And the one could blend into the other very yeah. easily. You could totally. very easily move between the two. Okay. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's really that's really, really important that you've just spoken about that. They talk about one of the big things that you that you talk a lot about is being healthy at any size. And I love that. So can can you talk a little bit? Because that kind of relates well to this what you've just answered. Sure. And you know, health at every size, again, that is very much it's very confusing concept to a lot of people because health at every size is not health at every size, meaning that whatever you have going on, like, you know, it's 100% okay to have like health goals or, you know, maybe you want more energy or maybe you were diagnosed with diabetes or, you know, whatever that may be, that is fine to want to work towards you know, helping yourself or getting healthy in that way. But we don't have to focus on weight. We don't have to focus on especially losing weight because so many times whenever people get these diagnoses, they are always told, they're not told actual solutions. They're just said, lose weight. And, and, and it's like, no, because it's a blanket statement. And the issue with that is like thin people <laughs> get these things too. So what are you telling them? You know, you actually have to focus on health behaviors. And that's the difference with health at every size. We're actually focusing on behaviors. And the thing is that you might not get to, you know, I think often people are getting to an arbitrary number, whether it's your clothing or the, you know, number on the BMI, scale. BMI, which is terrible. Yeah. BMI these, is yeah, just, I mean, fun. I cannot yeah. believe that we're still using oh it. Oh my gosh. It's like, yeah, it's honestly should never have yeah. been used and it's still like a guideline and it's frightening. Yeah. It's, it's so frustrating. And, you know, so whatever number people are trying to get to, it might not be that, that number might not be your number, you know, because you should still be able to thrive. And, and that's why it's so important to diversify your feed because you'll see there's so many people in every shape and size that are still active, you know, when I say like, you know, super healthy. Yeah, exactly. So, and they are, you know, some of them are in larger bodies. And I think that that needs to be seen more because they're not trying to be thinner and nor should they, because that's obviously where their body wants to be. And the thing is that they're still thriving. They're still living and that's and that's what healthy should mean. It should be where your body is still thriving. You know, because I get that sometimes we, you know, I hear about like knee joints or knee pain, you know, and I have to say, you know, as a thinner person, I also have knee pain. Like I am never told to lose weight. So I don't know why people in larger bodies are still lose weight. I was given, I was given physical therapy and that helped. And I I actually saw a thread on Twitter where the same thing where a lot of physical therapists since they they don't recommend you know weight loss because they're trained in actually helping people so a lot of times larger folks will go to these therapists and realize 
It's the exercises that you need to be doing. Losing weight has nothing to do with it. So it's so important to realize that. Yeah, that's what I mean by. I think I just went on a rampage, but that's what I mean. By no, it's but it's step. fantastic, Shana, because we have to. Yeah, I love it because yeah. you could have a skinny, skinny, skinny person and someone who's yeah. considered obese, and the person in the larger body has got is way healthier than that skinny person. So and exactly. Then, and like, so it's just and then a lot of the work. I mean, I you'd know this. This is definitely something you'd, you'd be very familiar with. But the the way that the obesity studies were done, which is so biased, and oh the, my gosh, so just Ooh, you yeah. know the whole the that whole thing is just like a whole nightmare in itself. And you know the the, the the obesity epidemic and the disease. It's just made people. It's moralized. It's it's moralized mm-hmm. and demoralized, and that completely just like. I mean, how many people that are in a larger body go to doctors and they don't, they're not getting the right treatment because they it's all, oh, well, you lose your weight. The reason you, they don't even look at other reasons. And, and that's a, a significant problem. And that's not right. Exactly. Sure exactly. Counter this a lot with your clients. Oh, 100%. And I, and I think it's so important because they often, you know, when I counsel people, I do like an intake form, like, you know, we all do, but I make a point not to put, have weight on there because I'm not counseling towards weight. And, uh, you know, I always get people questioning when they first meet with me, they're like, oh my gosh, you didn't ask me my weight. I'm like, no, cause that does has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about. Like, you know, and, and it's such like a, it's a stress relief for people because it's like, whatever you have going on again, like whatever illness or whatever, you know, thing it, your weight shouldn't have any factor in that, you know, it's it's so medically driven. You walk into a PCP office before they've even done anything. They've weighed you. And you know, there's so much trauma that goes around that if anyone who's had any kind of eating issue, I I know what I weigh because I I would kind of say the same, but do not put me on a scale. I will refuse it. It's it's such a trigger. Exactly. And you know, it's, it's like why you don't need that for your medical and it's, that's where the bias and research has come through medically and things. So I'm so glad that you say what you say, because it really helps a lot of things. Okay. So, Let's let's talk about the a post you put up, and we were chatting a little bit about this before we started. Oh, yeah. <laughs> about I love it. So basically, you were asked to speak at the, on the topic of food shaming this at some at a conference in DC, and yes. you talk, spoke about the, basically the Mediterranean diet being actually kind of racist. And I thought yes. that's because it's like touted as the thing. So take it from there. I mean, I can read your post, but you know, you can yeah, rather- definitely and. You know, and it's it's so interesting because the Mediterranean diet is a diet that everyone knows because it's always in the media. And I think that it's so funny to me because it's it's something that's been studied so much, so you know, constantly. And we have to remember, like, there are so many other cultural diets out there. Like the fact that we keep concentrating on the Mediterranean diet is a little bit bizarre to me. And you know. Uh, whenever I talk about it, people always get upset because it's just like, well, it can't be racist because the Mediterranean also has countries like that are in Africa. And, you know, it's, and that's why I make a point to say, yes, the Mediterranean is like 21 countries, right? Yes. But I want people to really think about what they see in the media. Do you see those African countries being represented? in the media when we're talking about the Mediterranean diet, or do you see, you know, the Eurocentric, usually white, you know, folks representing Greece, Italy, Spain, like, cause I only see that. I, I don't see, unless someone is very specific with making a cookbook that is like, 
you know, North African cooking, that will be the only time that I see representation. <laughs> so, you know, and that's, and that's what I mean when I say it is very much a Eurocentric way of thinking, you know, yes, there are many countries in the Mediterranean, but we don't see them. And that's the point. And I think that it's a bit intentional too. And the thing is that when we're talking about saying a way of eating, especially when it's one region of food, when we're talking about it being the best way to eat that, like, how about someone who is not from those regions? You know, even if it is like North Africa, not everyone's from like, you know, exactly that region. Every (laughs) every country has its own climate, its own ecosystem, its own soil, its own, you know, it's so diverse. Yeah. So diverse. it's, it's so bizarre to me because that's where a lot of people, because I also work in public health and I get a lot of questions too, where people always assume their culture is bad. Like I'm putting that in quotes, like as far as the food. And I, I get that because oh, I right now- Just to kind of calm down when, when I hear those true things. It's because yeah. people, you know, I, I'm right now- the, communities I'm working in happen to be high in like the Latinx Hispanic population. And I cannot tell you the amount of times people will say, okay, like, how should I eat? Cause I know my foods aren't healthy. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> let's, let's, let's stop. Let's think about that statement. Right. Because when you break down what they're eating, it's a lot of vegetables. It's, it's just that the vegetables might Look go, different. Go ahead. I was just looking at some of your things on the post. It's actually it's different. Yeah. It's different kinds of things because it's what's growing in that area. Sorry, carry on. I didn't mean exactly. to interrupt you. No, like- it's it's true. You know, and and the thing is that you know every culture has vegetables. Every culture has grains. They might not look like the Mediterranean, <laughs> right? But they're different. I remember once I was talking to this one woman. She was Honduras descent. And, you know, again, she came up with the same thing of, I, I think my cultural foods aren't healthy. And I was like, well, what are you eating? Like, let's, let's start there. And she started listing these foods. First of all, she was making everything from scratch, nothing wrong with processed or buying things, but she was making everything from scratch. Like I'm talking like grounding up corn to make like, you know, the tortillas, like everything from scratch. And I'm just like, how on earth? Well, I know how because of the media, but the fact that she just assumed that her foods were unhealthy, you know, and she's like, well, you know, when you think about the populations that have diseases, right. Or that have illnesses, it's like a lot of African-American, Hispanic. And I'm like, well, how about we stop looking at food? How about we look at access to food? How about we look at access to healthcare? How about we look at whether these, the things that we're reading, how about if, are they open to folks for, in other languages? Are they easy to read? Are they easy to understand? You know, because people are so quick to say you're eating unhealthy. It's like, are they, or is it just the access? Like, you know, even in some place like New York, some places here in New York, it takes so long to find a grocery store. And when you do, like the produce section isn't that great. So it's like access to food, access to healthcare, access to like equitable healthcare, education, all of these things, poverty. Like these are factors. It's really not just you need to eat like better. It's like, okay, you can't tell someone that 
like that's another blanket statement. So I went on another rampage, but yes, that is, <laughs> that is part of my issue. <laughs> no, you, um, everything you're saying, I'm just nodding my head and I'm agreeing because yeah. it's so relevant. It's, it's, you know, we've got a diversity yeah. of cultures, we've got a diversity of climates. You don't have, it's not going to be very easy to grow an olive tree in Iceland. <laughs> You know, and now it's a, you've got to import the, the olive oil and then the imported olive oil goes to all of this according to, and then, I mean, it, you can go insane with all these things. So you know, we've got to kind of relax about that and look at the whole societal structure and that kind of thing. If we want to be healthier mentally and physically, one of the best things we can possibly do is get several hours of quality sleep every night. The brain and body heal itself when we sleep. It really is one of the most amazing processes, even if you're not conscious when it happens. But I know it's hard to get good quality sleep sometimes. Your mind keeps you awake, life is stressful, and there are often a hundred anxious reasons why you can't fall asleep at night. Thankfully, there are also ways we can improve our sleep quality and overall health, including taking magnesium. Believe it or not, around 75% of people don't have enough magnesium. No wonder so many people have sleep problems. But please do not run to the store to buy the first magnesium supplement you find. Most magnesium supplements use only the two cheapest synthetic forms. And since they're not full spectrum, they won't support better sleeping habits. There are actually seven unique forms of magnesium. And you must get all of them if you want to experience its calming, sleep-enhancing effects. That's why I recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by BioOptimizers. Simply take two capsules before you go to bed and you'll be amazed at how much better you sleep and how much more rested you feel when you wake up. For an exclusive offer for my listeners, go to www.magbreakthrough.com forward slash leaf and use Dr. Leaf 10 during checkout to save 10% on your order. The link and details will be in the show notes. So that brings me to that other big question that, I mean, I'm even guilty of going on about processed foods are not good for you. Oh, and yeah. There's so many of the studies of showing that the, you know, the, the mad diet, the modern American diet. Oh, yeah. Of and, course. And, you know, and how bad that is. And I know the elements of that that really are bad and have changed. There is a change in how we've eaten. There's a very tight, strong time period. Mm-hmm. I'd love you. I'd love to have clarity on this. How's it best? How can we understand that the modern American diet did have a beginning point and there was a shift in people's health mm-hmm. is it causative is it correlative is it you yes. know, what happened there how should we handle this how should we talk about these and, and and the studies that have been done like where they've taken the modern american diet into the middle of somewhere in like australia and within where that they just lived on the land and and natural stuff and they introduce one one supermarket full of processed food and study within three months people have got fatty liver disease you know how do we talk about these things and think about these definitely things. and i think the important thing too like it's important to think about the words we're using right like so processed food is always just associated with something bad and i you know i always say everything we eat is processed even when you look at ultra processed foods things like a lot of the meat alternatives or vegan foods are ultra processed right so people are like well just avoid ultra processed. It's like, you can't really even do that if you're vegan, right? Like you can't even do that because that would be considered if we really were to go by just words, avoiding ultra processed foods that alone also takes off a lot of food options. So let's try to really be careful with the words we use and going to the American diet. 
I think that yes, things have changed, but we also need to really think about what else has changed in society because work, you know, like back in what the 1950s, were people working like we like this? I don't think so. Were people on their laptops until like 11 p.m. working? Both, both parents working. Yeah. Were, you know, yeah, both parents are working busy until like 11 p.m. at night. No, like it was also a cultural change. So food accompanies that cultural change. Like, I don't remember when it was that all of a sudden, even like something like canned food was like a thing, you know, that was sold or that was becoming big in America. It was because there was also a shift in the American culture and the American lifestyle. So those things are still important. Exactly. So yeah, more processed foods or more canned foods are being eaten because look at the lifestyle. Like if you really, if you really think about how people were cooking back then, you can't, I mean, for some people, yes, but for a lot of people who are like working our culture for work is just, I mean, when you compare it again to other countries, and this is something so important, there is a difference with the American way of living where I noticed, I remember once traveling to Spain and when I'm talking, people take food seriously. They love to eat, which was great because I love to eat too, right? (laughs) But I noticed that when we would go, so I went with one of my friends, we were out at like noon on a weekday. You cannot find people out. People were at home eating lunch, full foods, because they went home. They The work their employers gave them time to go home, to cook food, and to eat it. We're here in the States eating at our desks. If you even get to that, because most of the time you're praised because it's like bragging rights. Oh, I skip lunch, like, cause I'm working on this Excel spreadsheet. Like that's, that, that's like not a flex. Yeah. So there's a difference. So when we're talking about comparing our food to other countries, you can't just compare like everything. You have to look at the culture that's also comes with it. And there's a huge difference. Okay. And so, yes, we are eating more processed foods as Americans, but guess what? Look at our lifestyle. You know, so that, you know, there's, there's a reason. And also to ingredients, I think it's super important to realize that a lot of the ingredients that are added now are to keep our food safe. So yes, they sound a lot of chemical sounding names, things like that, but guess what? Very demonized. You know, I, mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And it's to keep our food safe. It's, you know, to make it last longer, like that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, I don't think that people realize the government isn't trying to kill. Well, I'll, I'm not even going to go because that sounds too, too much. But like, I think that, I think that most of the time people don't trust food um, because they're like the government's involved. And it's like, the government's actually trying to keep you safe. Like, I don't think people realize the process. Like when you, you think back to what was found in food back in the day, there's a reason the government's involved with what's in our food. There's a lot of things that we don't want in our food. So I think that's also another misconception. But yes, so I'm, I'm rambling here. But yes, there's there's a reason that we in this country, is we're eating different for a reason. And it does not have to do with just laziness or whatever people associate. It has to do with the culture. It has to do with capitalism. You know, so until that changes, I don't see... 
us changing the way we eat. So exactly. So there's a, <laughs> no, no, it's excellent. So there's a, there's a, there's a kind of a balance going on here. There is obviously the whole capitalism of making money out of food and making it quicker. And there is mm-hmm. a loss of quality. We, we agree that that happens, but then mm-hmm. there's also a change. It's not all bad. So it's not, you no. know, there's, so we've got to learn to be a bit more discerning and it's access and all those things you spoke about. And then we also have to look at the cultural changes, the adaptations you've had to make the different lifestyles. So we've got to kind mm-hmm. of have a, we've got to help to educate, to understand the extreme, the, stuff that may be really full of chemicals and not that great so keep that mm-hmm. sort of limited if if you can and then you know get more knowledge about the other processed foods that are the chemicals are keeping you alive kind of thing don't you think there's a lot of romanticism in the current and this is something i thought of as you were talking go of the uh, kind of the when we culture when we oh. were back in the day and that's how we we're not living ancient lives anymore. We are we're not, not living like we that. We don't not. have that. Yeah. So no. we kind of need to, you know, adapt and eat differently. Yeah. And that's so important because I see that a lot. Like, I want to eat the way our grandparents eat or ate before. And I'm just like, you know, our grandparents, at least mine, they were not making kale spirulina like smoothies. Okay. So it's like <laughs> they were eating what was available. Exactly. And so, yeah, like that, I, I kind of get what people are trying to say, but that statement is just still full of a lot of classism as well. Just going back to eating real food. And I'm just like, all food is real, you know, unless it's like the plastic ones that like the dolls eat, like, you know, that's fake food, but Everything is real. <laughs> yeah. And as you say, it's the nutritional value. So there are some of those foods that don't have quite the same nutritional value. So it's once again, as you said right in the beginning, let's look at the nutritional content and mm-hmm. maybe kind of balance it. You know, some that exactly. some have got a little bit less, get some with a little bit more and, you know, create a kind of more and balanced. That's, and that's perfectly that's, fine. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. the intuitive thing that comes circling back to that again. Oh, this is mm-hmm. this is an amazing discussion. Okay. Now, <laughs> just very quickly, the GMOs, I mean, that's been such a debate. Oh, yeah. I know I've researched that and whatever. Do, do, do we want to even touch on that? Do you want to give I mean, a sort of overview or a really yeah, like a really great overview would be that kind of still falls into I think it's scary to the word genetically modified organism, right? Like that sounds pretty scary. It does. Um, and, the, and, and, the, and the science yeah. of it sounds very, you know, it's like in the lab still and yeah. Exactly. And the thing, and you know, I can't speak to this because food science isn't my forte, but there is a really great food. There are a couple actually really great food scientists to follow that I always recommend food science, babe. I'm so bad because of course I cannot remember her actual name, but that is her Instagram and TikTok name. (laughs) But she really does break down all the scientific reasons as to why it's okay to have something like, because when you look at what I think corn is always brought up, like, oh my gosh, corn's a GMO. It's like, yes, it is. But if you look at what corn used to be, there's like a reason that it's, it's been updated. Yeah. That it's been updated. Yeah. And that we have science to. Mm. Exactly. Exactly. And I, and I think an also important point to make is that food insecurity is actually a thing. I think that we often forget that living in this country, especially, but food insecurity is very important. And we actually have an issue with food insecurity in this country and actually being able to feed the amount of people in this country. It's harder than it seems. So yes, we actually, GMOs are 
a really good thing. I know I'm going to get a lot of heat for that, but it's actually a good thing when we're trying to feed folks in this country. It's not just organic, like, you know, foods, which, you know, it's, it's hard to come by. It's hard to, for the farmer as well, but GMOs, it's not scary. I know it sounds scary. The name genetically modified. I know that sounds scary, but I promise you it's, it's actually not, (laughs) it's actually a good thing. (laughs) It's a good thing. I think going forward, I know that there's been a lot of research looking at the impact and I know we don't fully understand the soil. I think we've got about a 95% understanding of the soil. And Mm -hmm. so, but then, you know, then there's also the impact of the, the things that we don't know about, about the science, but then there's also, this is what science is. It's a matter of, you know, we, we were trying to help people because I was always very anti-GMOs because I grew up mm-hmm. in the era where my training and all that thing was, be, it was, it was a new science mm-hmm. and it was sort of, be, should, it should be confined to the, to the laboratory until we actually know how to, what the impact is, but we're never really going to fully know the impact of anything. And I think we've mm-hmm. now 20 years later or 30 years later that the science has been, I think it's what it's 30, 40 years old now that we are getting more insight into, and this, I think it's always with caution that we should, everything yes, should be, totally. doesn't need to be fully embraced. There's got to be standards. There's got to be a level of evidence that this is not going to mm-hmm. damage the soil and damage whatever. So I think those are the principles that I think we've moved in that direction. If I'm, if I track how it used to be and how GMO science is running now, as I said, I'm also not a GMO scientist, but just having followed right. this field 20 years ago 30 years ago it really concerned me that things were Mm -hmm. released out there before we understood what we were doing but now there's a lot more evidence-based knowledge so i'm hearing you correctly that it's possibly time to start trickling this out into in a in a good in a better way there's been some bad mess-ups with the gmo and huge disruption i don't know that's just am i wrong i mean i'm totally happy to and and i also just want to point out too like there's nothing wrong with also questioning what's in our food right like so i'm not saying never to question things because i think that you know, when you, we question things, that also shows a level of, I don't want to say intelligence, it's but ma- just that we're yeah, thinking. Yeah, it is maturity we're and curiosity and exactly. yeah, regulation and yeah, yeah. So I definitely encourage people to question things. I, but however, where are you getting your information? Because, you know, it's, yeah. it's, are you getting it from scientists, you know, in that field or are you getting it from social media from the from an influencer Mm -hmm. so that's the difference right we should be questioning things but where are you getting your information and even the world of science is as you and i both know i mean it's like bias are you just looking at one or are you looking at comparative studies like can you look at both sides of the coin so i always love reading these people that analyze studies and they'll say okay this is what it's saying but this is what's actually being said and Mm -hmm. this could be so you know then you can they pull it apart so you can actually look at that argument if it's if you agree with the logical pulling apart of you so you that's the kind of thing i think i'm hearing you say before yes. we just blanket statement it's bad or it's good mm-hmm. or it's get get knowledge get understanding exactly be curious mm-hmm. amazing amazing i love that your mental health is and should be a priority i learned this from my friend dr daniel amen who is a renowned psychiatrist neuroscientist and founder of amen clinics The Amen Clinics are unique because they use a comprehensive and holistic approach, including brain-specked imaging, to treat mental health issues. I visited an Amen Clinic and seen Dr. Amen in action, and I was able to see for myself how brain scans show that many mental health conditions, such as ADD, anxiety, and depression, are often not caused by just one thing. That's why giving everyone the same treatment will never work. So you can get a treatment plan that's targeted to your needs. 
I love that the doctors at Amen Clinics use natural therapies wherever possible. To find out how you can change your brain and change your life, visit amenclinics.com forward slash Dr. Leaf. If you book, you'll get 10% off an evaluation when you use the promo code DrLeaf10 at checkout. The link and offer details will also be in the show notes. A couple of things more. Because we're on the subject, are convenience foods like canned foods or frozen dinners bad? And we've kind of intimated and gone in this direction, but I'd like to sort of be more specific. How would you help people process this? Because I think people feel so much guilt around that. Oh, 100%. And the thing is that, you know, oftentimes, again, it's coming down to what your preferences are. And preferences aren't just taste. They're also affordability. Like canned foods are cheaper, right? So, you know, if you prefer canned green beans because that is giving you more, you know, more bang for your buck, right? Then, and that's how you can feed your family. That's fine because when you actually compare green beans to the fresh variety, they're the same nutrients. The canned one's gonna have more salt, more sodium. But if that's a thing of concern, you can rinse it. You know, so it's there's still options there. Some people like the taste of of canned green beans, so that's also a factor. It's like if that's what you prefer, that's fine. And also, like folks with disabilities, that is easier for them to warm up some green beans than to cut up the green beans, the fresh ones, rinse them and cook them. It's just it's just easier, and that's also okay. So those are options. Also, you know, when we're talking about poverty in this country, if your gas goes out and you don't have any way of cooking or your electricity, you can eat it straight from the can and you're still getting your nutrients, right? That's food safety, right? So there's, there's reasons for canned food. If you prefer fresh, like, and you can afford it, all of that jazz, then by all means, eat your fresh green beans or whatever have you, that's fine. Um, so it's, it's really just individual. Frozen meals. Also, I think the thing with concern is just like sodium again. You know, if you have, let's say you're trying to keep track of it for high blood pressure or whatever, yeah, you might have to be more conscious of it. But if it's for safety, I would say it's still safe. Like our, our food is safe. <laughs> I think people just feel bad, you know, because they're not making it themselves. But again, it goes, it goes down to if you're working from like, it's not even nine to five anymore. It's like no, nine, it's nine to it's like, like, it's like eight. Yeah, exactly. It's like 24 hour cycles, which is unfortunate. Yeah. It's really... Exactly. So mm-hmm. if you're working like that and then you're coming home to like two kids, yeah, you're not going to feel like making a whole chicken and mashed potatoes. Like yeah. maybe and that first meal to get it fresh from the grocery store. And, you know, we've got to be like realistic about our timing and it's, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So all of that comes into play. So again, like stop making people feel guilty about what they're eating. Cause I, I see too much demonizing on social media and it's just, it's, it's really kind of turning a blind eye to all the other problems that we're having. I'm so. so glad that we've got into this, we've shifted to this kind of, I know not everyone thinks like you do and like I do, but, and I know I've been caught up in the, I've been caught up years ago in the sort of more stricter kind of regimen of oh, eating same. and things That's like that. Okay. So we, yeah. We, we yeah. have to grow. Yeah. <laughs> I was wrong and I've changed and I, and I'm happy to admit it. There's some things exactly. that I was wrong about and, you know, it'd be, there's a shift, which is really fantastic. So I want to just, with my, through my, I mean, I could speak to you all day long and there's so many important questions. I'd love to have you back on again sometime, <laughs> but I'd love 
love to just bring a quick lot one more question. Are you okay with one more question? Yes, definitely. Just to, around something that comes up so much and it's so related to the diet culture and that's body dysmorphia. So, oh, you know, yeah. let's talk a little, can we talk a little bit about that? Sure. And I think body dysmorphia, it kind of is in that realm of like disordered eating sort of image. And the thing with body dysmorphia, it's also very much psychological and, you know, all of that. But it stems from a place of like, let's be honest, like fat phobia, right? Because we're thinking of, our bodies not looking the way that they do or, you know, how others actually perceive us. We're always thinking Mm -hmm. exactly. And that honestly just stems from most of the time. I'm not going to say all, but most of the time it does stem from fat phobia in our country because we are told that being larger is bad. So we're always going to think that we could be thinner, you know, even if we are, already in a thin body, like there's, we could just be that much thinner. And we think that, oh my gosh, I, I look, you know, a certain way and it's not. And that's sort of the issue that I kind of have with the body positive movement, because it's fine. Like we all have our, our body hangups. Like, I don't think we, any of us are ever going to get to a point of, I love my body every single day. I think that's impossible, but I often see like the body positive. It's just like these thin women and they're distorting. They're like kind of doing poses to make their bodies larger. Like, see, this is normal. And it's like, no, that's not really helping because again, like fat phobia also has a lot of weight stigma in this country, which leads to really bad health care for those individuals. So all of that, which I'm not going to get into, but yes. No, no but we, we mentioned <laughs> it earlier on and it's very yeah. real. So mm-hmm. it's the, I'm glad you brought mm-hmm. up the body positivity situation mm-hmm. because that also has backfired a little bit. It's had a bit of a negative impact. I think it's, we started out trying to be positive, but I mean, yes. trying to be a good thing, but it's trying to be a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it hasn't quite been that way. It's created maybe more problems you're saying. Mm-hmm. I think, I think so. It, I mean, I wouldn't like not maybe more problems because I get it. Like we all, we all have ish, like, you know, some days are just not those days, but how is that helping the actual like anti-fat bias? Like, how is that helping that in this, you know, in this society, you know, because basically what you're saying is you are thin you just take a bad picture. That's all. Like, but it's okay. Like, don't worry. You are thin. It's just that the picture is bad. That's what body positive is. It, like, from what I'm seeing, it's like here are some other angles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's just not. That's not true. So the core underlying problem, sort of in conclusion, well, there's lots, but is we've got to get over this fat phobia, and yes. we've got to understand the whole context that a person lives in in terms of access, accessibility, and stop exactly. demonizing food like we have been doing, which is contributing to so many problems, mm-hmm. taking so much joy out of so many people's lives, and adding to mental health issues. So this has been fantastic. Where can people learn more about you and learn from you? Well, my all my platforms are the nutrition team. Pretty easy to find that way. <laughs> so Instagram, I have a Facebook page, Twitter, now TikTok that I'm struggling with, but still on there. Join the club. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all the nutrition tea. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. And I know this has helped so many people, including me. So thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips 
and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.